Mr. Babs Buzz. Nice to be here again in November. Happy Thanksgiving belated. Hope you had a great holiday. If you celebrate, if you don't, oh, well, you can still eat a turkey sandwich, and I won't hold it against you. Uh, this month, I want to start the show off with major props to Craig Clyde, my client. He uh, had an airing on Hallmark for a movie called A Christmas Wish. We are delighted to report and very humbled by this information. This is huge. Uh, three and a half million households watched A Christmas Wish, uh, shot and directed and written by uh, Craig Clyde, and over 15 million viewers as a whole. It was in the top four of the 2011 ratings race. Absolutely outstanding. Woohoo! Uh, major props go to my client, Craig Clyde, our client at Silver Patella Agency. Ed and I are beyond delighted. Um, in the grammar corner, there's two books I want you to pay attention to. They're really quite good. Um, you're going to think that they're a little juvenile, but I have to tell you, some of the best ways I learn things really are with pictures. Kids Write Right by Jan Vinolia and Write Right by Jan Vinolia, either book or both are exceptional grammar books. They make it very easy. They make it very memorable. If any of you have children out there and are teaching them how to do fiction writing, short story writing, or just to keep handy for when you're doing your screenplays, when you need to know usage, it's really important that grammar is done correctly. Nothing will trip me up faster than a script I'm reading with a typo. It's really annoying. Know what happens. But as you can imagine, it's kind of like somebody, you know, burping in the middle of a love scene in a, in a movie theater. It just it pulls you from the narrative, and it's it's just not fun. The Inanimate Short Award goes to Rebecca Hay for her short, Pen Pal. I do hope she posts it. It was very cute, very sweet, very well done, and the ending was adorable. I really loved it. Rebecca, good job. I'm going to say something to Rebecca directly, and this may actually – somebody asked me, hey, Babs, what are we not supposed to do? And this is for all of you, especially myself. But Rebecca is a skilled writer, but she overthinks things. Don't overthink things. You can always add layers later, but don't overthink stuff. Get it down on the page because you'll find that that degree of professional, profession, hello, professionalism slash perfectionism, that which happens with all writers, i.e. the internal editor, Oh, he's a pain in the ass. Don't even don't listen to that if you can help. You can always edit later. You can always fix later. Get it down on the page. If you're going to overthink it, okay, I can tell you straight up you're going to suffer from what we call writer's inertia. You're not going to get anything done. So inanimate short goes to Rebecca Hay for Pen Pal. She did a very brave thing. She bared her soul to me and said, I don't know if this is any good, but have at it. And it was very funny, very cute. Um, Grammar Corner, back to that for a moment. I, my notes are a little bit out of order here, but you'll get the gist of it. I'm, you guys are smart. Was and were. Damned if I don't screw this one up every single time I do it. So, was is real, were is maybe. That's the easiest way I can paraphrase that. This one comes from Craig Clyde. This is his biggest bailiwick. Ed, this irritates Ed to no end. Uh, I can tell you that because I've done it wrong my whole life and now that I have to do it right, it's become a sticking point for me. There, there, their possessive, T-H-E-I-R is possessive. It means their house, their home, etc. There equals distance. Over there, they're over there. It's, a, it's, it, it's relative to distance. And also, Craig mentioned your and your. 
your Y-O-U-R is possessive. Your Y-O-U apostrophe R is you are. It's a conjunction. Okay. So you know those two differences. Also, I don't know if this has been put in the dictionary. I have to tell you, I had a conversation with someone and she's talking and she's speaking. Oh, it was a Christmas party at, at this accounting firm I used to work at a hundred million years ago. And she said, well, you know, Barbara, it's irregardless. And I said, what? Well, it's, it's irregardless. And I looked at her and I go, there's no such word as irregardless. Well, sure enough, I was wrong. Irregardless, horrendous word, has been put in the dictionary. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Don't quote me. Go look for yourself. I can't believe it. Irregardless has been put in the dictionary. That irritates me to no end. <laughs> but irregardless of that and irrespective of that, all right are two words, is two words, right? It's all right, A-L-L space R-I-G-H-T. It's not A-L-R-I-G-H-T, although I will tell you almost every writer I know of does A-L-R-I-G-H-T all right. A lot. Two words, not one. Very important. When you're reading your script, if you put a lot or a lot, they're going to look at it and they're not going to know how to say it, right? The actors are going to go, what is this? And most of them can read, right? So that's what they do. They read for a living. And even if you're doing a table read, you want to have the correct grammar. So if someone said to me on the thread, hey, Barb, why don't you do the list of don'ts, the things that people shouldn't do? Well, the truth is, happily, the glass is half full. There's not a lot of don'ts out there. And who am I to say what you shouldn't do? But I can tell you a couple of things that I think might it, you could use generically in your business and with your kids and your husband and your wife and all that noise, your partner. But you can also just do it in general when it comes down to actually sitting down and talking to a professional about a script. I had an interaction with someone who shall remain nameless on the thread, and he was very nice, but he was very annoying. Why was he annoying? Because all he kept doing was make it, he, his goal was to make me see it his way. Now, that's admirable. That's tenacious. It's brave, but it's a time waster. Because I'm not the be-all and end-all decision-maker of what people read out there. The readers have a tradition to follow. They have an expectation. And if you're not going to do what they tell you to do, well, then pick another business. Pick another – you know, there's a lot of ways you can write. You can do poetry. You can do shorts. You can do – there's a lot of things. Fiction. Fiction's a lot of fun. You can really be grandiose with your descriptions, and you can be all over the place. But don't fight me when I ask you to do something. So be that as it may, he, he's a really sweet guy, but he failed to follow instructions. And I'm asking you guys – Thank you for following instructions, first of all, and please follow the instructions that I give you. If I need a beat sheet cover, just give it to me. If you can't give it to me, don't worry about it. Next, it's okay. I will be here. I will be here no matter how much money or how little money I make. By the way, I had a good month, which is really nice, so Merry Christmas to me. Um, so the list of don'ts. Don't overthink things. You know, sometimes I'm the worst critic of myself. I'm sure you're all like that, aren't you, where you you critique yourself so much that any outside stimulus, any new criticism becomes a circuitry overload, and then you look like you're thin-skinned and you're kind of a schmuck. Well, try not to let the internal critic in you dominate your internal dialogue. What do I mean by that? Well, don't tell yourself you're American Idol when you can't sing and you can't hold a tune in a basket. What I'm saying is don't overthink things. If you think it's going to work, put it down. If you think it doesn't work, oh, guess what? You can erase it. Don't overwrite. Overwriting is the single biggest challenge that I see in every single script. And believe it or not, I actually have a goal to where I'm going with this with the show today. Don't overwrite. Add layers later. If I need description, I'll kick it back to you and I'll ask you for it. Don't stand on ceremony. If I tell you this scene, I have a writer that I just signed. His name is Joe Downey. You know about him. We signed him for a script called Rhino. It's hysterically funny. It's going to be a phenomenal hit. I hope, <laughs> but um, I said to him, we, we got into, we mixed it up a little bit about this one scene 
and I explained to him, not in Rhino, but in another script he sent me, and I said to him, look, please do this my way, just for now. You can keep that scene set aside, and when, when it's signed, if a director says to you, this scene isn't working, what else you got? You can pull it out of your ideas folder and things that you rejected. You do not have to feel like it's being th- – nothing is ever wasted in this business. You know, we're wordsmiths. That's our job. Uh, but he, he did it my way, and boy, if that arc didn't just lock and load, it was fabulous. So, yeah, don't stand on ceremony. Another um, writer came to me on the thread a while ago and said, I, you know, I want to do this job on spec, yada, yada, yada. Here's how I work. Now – I think that that's fabulous that you want to write on spec, but I will tell you this. I've been bitten hard in the last two months about a spec deal, which I'll get to in a minute. Make sure you register and copyright your work if you're going to write on spec. But make sure you have an agreement in writing that says, I, A, do this for B in exchange for this. Okay, let's talk about writing on spec for a minute. As an agent, I don't like my writers writing for free, period, end of story. Not because I don't get a commission. That has nothing to do with it. As it is, I write options all day, and I don't make any money. That's the nature of the business we've chosen. In my business, I have to specialize in repetition. That's what really what I have to do. I have to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. What makes it different? Well, obviously, the writers and the stories. Some of them are great. Some of them are good. Some of them are okay. Most of them could be films tomorrow. Uh, are they in the condition to be market ready? You better believe it, or they don't hit my desk, and they don't leave my desk either. They're not going to go anywhere. I'll see to that. And the writers are good about that. I mean, they know. They, i, I got to fix this scene. i got to fix it. It's, it's not about me being right, as I've said in the shows in the past. It's about it being market ready, because in the end, the director is going to decide what's right and what's wrong, not the agent. So don't write on spec unless you really know what's expected of you and how this is executed. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. Okay. I get a call from a producer, nice man, budget, high millions, okay, production, uh, people on tap for the the actors, A-list. This is what we need from your writer, Barbara. He's in, in effect, he's auditioning for a job. We need him to do a treatment in a couple of days, and we want to see how it reads. Now, flip that coin. I'm the agent, okay? I'm listening to the producer tell me this. I go to my writer and I go, do you want to do this? Yes or no? There's no money in it. It's a crapshoot. My writer goes, absolutely. I really want this gig. Okay, he's that's admirable. But as the agent, this is the hard part of the job. I have to explain to him exactly what the downside is. You're going to be working for free and you get nothing in exchange for it if they don't use you. And, and this is precarious. They may take some of your work. And you'll never know it. This is a huge problem for me. So my writer says, that's okay, I'll do it. Okay, so now let's open up the WGA.org website for a moment. And I go to my client and I go, listen, what you've done is the equivalent of X amount of dollars. Are you sure you want to do this? Absolutely want to do it, want to do it. Okay. I go to the producer. Oh, the money suddenly disappeared. (gasps) Imagine that. So now my writer, who did a great job, has a series of fans who are on the peripheral of this project, who are all involved, and they're all hooked on my writer, yay us. But in the end, unless the producer is real, don't go for it. Or if you're going to go for it, put something in writing and do what you did online. One of the guys who who shall remain nameless, he sent me something in writing. I told him what to do, and he did it. Happily, he's all safe and protected. But I said all that to say this. It doesn't make the producer a bad person. 
his heart's in the right place, and he may have had access to the money when the whole business of this particular project started. But as you know, because you listen to this show and because you are realistic, a movie is a house of cards. One sudden, and it's right. So use your heads. If you have any questions, hit me. I'm not an attorney, but if I can't answer a question for you, you bet I will point you in the right direction so you can get an answer that you want, which brings me to learn how to write an adaptation. One of my clients, in the, another client in the same, for the same condition, this thing that happened with this producer, he was forced to learn how to write an adaptation very fast. Now, the good news is my client had the chops to do it. It's Greg Houghton. Awesome writer. It's absolutely awesome. We just we just extended his option for the leash. I'm busting. This is really exciting. The producer we have on board is completely committed. She's amazing. She's a player. She has her crap together. She is unbelievable. And on top of all of that, she's British. So I can do my accent with her and we can just banter back and forth. I'm beyond chuffed. So uh, so we extend this option. It's very exciting. But while he was, we were waiting to hear about this extension, this is some inside baseball. You kids will dig this. He had to do an adaptation. And the challenge with an adaptation is huge. Richard Broadhurst did one for me one once. I'm not going to tell you the title of the book because I'm not going to tell you. But the adaptation was really, really good, and the writer loved it, and the writer's son loved it. And it, it showed me just how little – now, I understand this. Look, it, there's no accounting for taste. I have a butt. Everybody has their own taste. I get that. I, I wasn't dissing him, and I respected his opinion. He had some valid points. But in the end, the book can't be the movie. It really can't be. I mean, if you guys have ever read The Godfather, you'd know this. If you've ever read Jaws, you'd know this. If you've ever read Jurassic Park, you'd know this. Okay, so now you're writers. Fast forward to today. This is so exciting for me because I really wasn't sure where I was going to go with this, and it just locked and loaded for me. You're not going to write the whole book because the whole book isn't visual. I will repeat that. Not everything in the book is visual. So here's the key question. How do you unveil all of the exposition that's needed? You don't. Here's an example. There's a storyline in Jaws wherein Richard Dreyfuss' character comes to dinner with, what's his name? The, the star. And the wife says, I hear you're in sharks. And, of course, it's a comic moment. and They're both laughing. And he says, yeah, well, I haven't heard it put that way. But, yeah, I'm in sharks. I love sharks. And she says, you love sharks. Now. What many of you may not know is that in the book, these two had an affair. They slept together. This was completely irrelevant because Steven Spielberg, in his wisdom, knew that this would simply get in the way of the picture and alienate you from Richard Dreyfuss' character and the wife. He didn't want to do that. Very smart. Why? Because the shark was the thing. No, it's never been done before. No one ever really saw that kind of magnitude for an animal except for King Kong. I mean, it was genius. It was absolute genius. So what did Spielberg do? So glad you asked. He he stuck to the visuals. He knew he locked and loaded on exactly what picture he would need to show you what was going on. And he gave you okay, so here's here's the subtext and the exposition that he did need. Guy on an island who's afraid of the water. He went all over the place with that with maybe five or six lines and it was a beautiful thing. I'm going to get to subtext in a minute, but that's what adaptation means. Adaptation means that you adapt the key visuals which drive the story, and then you supplement them with the arc needed to convey the protagonist and the antagonist's actual journey. Yes, this is an AA degree in screenwriting, I think, I'm hoping. It's a lot of fun to do this show, and I have to tell you that when I first learned about adaptations, 
as you, many of you may know, some of you may not. If you're new to the show, welcome. I learned it because I wrote Full Moon Morning and there was no way I could write the screenplay. Now, I can't write a screenplay anyway. So I farmed it out to someone who taught me, this is what you look for in a book. She pulled the visuals out. She pulled the key elements out. She pulled the key beats out. What were beats? I didn't know what beats were. She told me. It was fascinating. Debbie Scott, hoorah. She gets props for that. So if you want to know how to do adaptations, I urge you. It's really not complicated. Read yours. Read the script. Read Jurassic Park. Read the script. And you'll begin to see a pattern. All right. We did something a little different this month. Michael, I am so glad we did this. This is huge. We did a first 15-page why I stopped reading, and then we did page one, why I stopped reading. The page one, why I stopped reading, was huge. If you guys want to do this next month, feel free. I really enjoyed the process. It's not easy to be critical. I'm going to say that again. As forthright as I am, I'm a mush. I get it. I know what momentary always feel like. Some of them really do sting. I've been in your position. I've had, I've, I've told you, my mother would, my mother-in-law, she's an excellent editor. She knows grammar. She knows all this stuff. She would hand me back my manuscripts and they looked like they were hemorrhaging. In those days, we edited in red. And she'd circle one sentence and say, this is good. Do more of this. And I'd be like, thanks, Ma. So I get it. But you need to understand something. When I kick something back to you, it's not to tell you you suck. It's to tell you this needs fixing. End of story. You are not your work. Your work is a byproduct of, of what you've churned out and you have an eraser or the backspace key. Boy, oh boy, the page one complimentary read-throughs I did were huge. I can't believe how interesting most of them weren't and how willing most of you were to fix it. So props to those of you who participated. I think I saw one or two, maybe up to three. Michael, I don't remember. May have been as many as four that I said I would absolutely keep reading, and I invited the um, writer to pitch me again. We did this anonymously, by the way. The, the, it would come to me behind the scenes, or the the script would the, – the page one actually came out on the thread, Michael. I think that's right, right? It came on the thread, and then I, behind the scenes, privately uh, gave my critic, whether it was a thumbs up or thumbs down. And I have to tell you, it taught me a lot. It really, really did. I actually surprised myself into how much I learned. Which brings me to subtext. Get ready for the hardest and most difficult thing in the world to do in screenwriting. Very few people can do this. It's extremely challenging. It is not just challenging. It's almost not done. It's almost not done so consistently that directors become paid. They actually get paid very good money to draw out the script when there is an absence of subtext. Okay, so let me explain. Absence of subtext. That's interesting. <laughs> Guile. Insidious cunning in attaining a goal, crafty, or artful deception. Now this comes, before I get into subtext examples, I'm going to tell you what Jason Bortz told me what subtext is. He gave me his paraphrase. Subtext, I'm going to read this verbatim. Subtext, subtext is optional for the action film, critical for the drama. People watch dramas not to hear what people say, but what they aren't saying, to observe internal monologue as it conflicts with the spoken word. Watching new romantic partners speak, their terms of endearment is sweet. 
watching new partners who've been hurt before, fighting their fear because voicing I love you guarantees pain, and this is captivating. Subtext is the internal motivation behind the external show to whatever degree it exists and the psychological barometer by which the character measures the given circumstances. Okay, now if you replay that many times, it wouldn't surprise me because I'm going to keep it on my desktop. It's that poignant and it's, it's, it's rivetingly important. Okay, there's a scene in The Godfather 2 where Robert Duvall goes to visit the guy who's in jail, who's about to rat on Michael Corleone in the courtroom. And Michael Corleone, this is the epitome of what subtext is without speaking visually conveyed. You with me? Say yes. Okay. Michael Corleone walks in with an old man who doesn't speak English, who sits next to Michael in the courtroom. Of course, this guy on the stand sees him, and his story completely changes. We never really find out the why of it, but cut to the scene with Robert Duval, who's visiting the guy who's on the stand, and I'm sorry I don't remember the names. You guys may know it and find it on YouTube and stick it on the thread, whatever. Robert Duval visits the guy who now says to Robert Duval's character, yeah, my, my, my brother, he's old school. He could have had his own family. Robert Duval begins to speak about how in the old days, the generals, when they were losing, they would, you know, find ways to commit suicide, yada, yada, yada. Sort of what Cleopatra did when she put her hand in the basket and the snake bit her and she died. And the guy who's smoking a cigar with him says, yeah, you know, they'd slit their wrists, they'd have a couple of drinks, they'd sit in the tub and they'd just bleed to death. And um, Robert Duval said, yeah, that's pretty much, you know, how it was done in those days. He says, yeah, and their families were taken care of. Because of all that. So what's going on in the scene? Okay. I know I didn't just give you the best description, but you've all seen it, so you know what I'm talking about. What they're saying to each other is, you're a real bastard for bringing that guy in, but you did the right thing because I didn't rat out on my people. And Robert Duval says, yeah, and we're prepared to throw down some cash because you didn't rat out Michael Corleone. He says, well, that's okay. Make, I'll, do, I'll do the suicide gig, but you make sure my family has money and that they're protected and they're taken care of. There's no comment. There's a handshake. That is subtext. Now, that's not all of subtext, but it's a very good example of what subtext looks like. Which brings me to a, a script writer that I know. who He's very talented with writing action, but he doesn't write dialogue very well. He has real challenges, and I'm not a writer, but I have a pretty good ear. I'm not tone deaf when it comes to You can't say, hello, how are you? I'm fine unless there's a way to convey that on the page where there is subtext. This is hard. This is not easy. This is why writers do what they do. I was just talking to Michael before the show started, talking about Big Bang Theory and how characters really are, the integrity of their voices are so unbelievably beautifully protected that you know right away who's going to say what. Before they even say it, you know who's supposed to say that line. It's the same thing with Buffy. Joss Whedon so branded Xander's character and Cordelia's character. I mean, th these characters, you want to learn about dialogue and subtext. You listen to these. You listen to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series. You learn so much by watching three seasons of that show. If you don't pick it up, shoot me an email and I'll go into more detail about it. Or I'll ask. I, actually kind of a drag that I'm happy we had the holiday and all that, but Jason was going to come on the show 
or he's going to tape something separately from today, Michael. I don't know. I have to find out what his schedule is like. He's really busy. But he was going to talk to the audience about what this is and how you can achieve this on the page. He's really better at explaining it than I am. That's why I read the definition for you because I know people can hit pause and then rewind and then listen to it again. Um, when you're developing ideas for stories, and we're going to wrap this up in a couple of minutes, the best thing to do is start with a kernel of an idea. I'm going to wrap up the show with how stories come about. They really do start with a seed. The seed is something that you water. Uh, Robert Powers, one of my writers, says to me, it's very good to have to base a story on an unusual places you may have been or strong characters you may have met and you know, kind of flip the occurrences of what may have happened, maybe unusual travel trip, something like that, you'll embellish. He said nine times out of ten, there's actually a story in there. You just don't know it yet, so you've got post-its all over the wall. Try and boil them down to one core story line. So I had this story about um, this dog. His name was – I can't remember his name, but he was a war dog. And uh, I did some research and I wrote a short story about this war dog who served in Vietnam. And what he did was he, with his face and his ears and his tail and his hind quarters, was trained to signal the soldiers who he's working with where the Viet Cong were hiding. Okay? Now, this is extraordinary. So rather than write the story as two handlers in, Viet, in, in deep cover in Vietnam, I wrote it as two I wrote it as three soldiers instead of two soldiers and a dog, and I didn't do the reveal until the incoming, until the bombing started. Then I revealed that the third soldier was actually a dog, and I won first prize in a short story. It was very nice, actually. It was the first time I actually won cash on a story that I wrote. I won $100, I think, for the first place in the uh, statewide uh, short story competition for fiction, and it was very gratifying because I worked with some of the vets to get the story you know, down. If any of you want to see it, let me know, and I'll send it to you. Brett's read it. Brett Martin's read it. Brett Martin, I am praying, will give me a war dog film. Where you're working on it, Brett. Um, but when when Robert was talking about that, he was saying, look, I, you know, most of the ideas I have come from a very small thing. Like he has a script called Revolver. It's about a gun. And, well, what if the gun was haunted? And it goes from there. You see what I mean? He's, he's, he's saying to you that seeds of ideas really do help. And don't get stuck and bogged down in the story itself. Just try and get an overview. Try and do a beginning, a middle, and an end. And even if you don't really know where the ending's going, look it. Kids, I can promise you, if you're willing to listen, your characters will talk to you. Your freaking characters wake me up in the middle of the night. They really do. I mean, when it comes right down to it, I, I signed a, a writer. Her name is Lynn. You know her. I've spoken about her many times. And her characters would literally wake me up in the middle of the night. I'm like, Lynn, the character wouldn't say that here. you got to fix this. You'd be, okay, you're right. That happens more often than not, especially when the script is really, really – the characters will talk to you. You just have to learn to listen for them. That's critical. If you're not going to pay attention to what your character's saying and you're just so into what you're putting down on the page because you're a writer, ew, come on, make a mess. I got plenty of soap. This is Babs for Babs Buzz. Thanking you for joining me once again. I really enjoyed this show. I hope I made sense. It sounded like I did. It felt like I did, but I never know until I hear the playback when Michael sends it to me. I really do hope you're learning from all this. I hope I'm helping. Please shoot me emails. If you have any questions, I'm here to help. We had a really, really good month. We're really excited about what's going to come down the pike in 2012 and beyond. I pray that you take the ride with me. I really, really do. I want you to keep writing. I am urging you to keep rewriting. But most importantly, you must 
live your life. Peace.